This is U.S. History in Five Minutes or Less, a podcast for my eighth grade social studies students or anyone else who's interested in a quick summary of U.S. history. Episode 17, Saratoga and its Effects, Part 1. I've written a lot about the battles of Saratoga, at least in the context of this podcast, because it's such a good story, but it's too long for this podcast, so I'm splitting it in two. Episode 17 will cover the background of the battles and some of the leaders and their personalities. Episode 18 will cover the battles themselves, as well as the consequences of those battles. Historians often talk about turning points in war and in other events. A turning point is defined as a decisive change that will yield positive results for one side. Looking back on an event, it's sometimes easy to recognize a turning point. However, the people at the time didn't necessarily know that they were experiencing a turning point. So it's important when we talk about turning points and how things change so much that we remember that this is a lot easier to see looking back. Also, keep in mind that nothing in history is determined. Things could have gone differently. People could have made different choices. Outcomes could have been very different. The battles of Saratoga are seen as the turning point of the Revolutionary War, but it didn't have to be that way. So remember that the choices people make have a decisive impact on the events. Also note that the topic of this episode is the battles of Saratoga, as in more than one. There were two battles, Freeman's Farm and Bemis Heights, that are collectively known as the battles of Saratoga. Both of those are places near the town of Saratoga in upstate New York. When we left off last time, the Americans had found a way to keep fighting and keep morale up with Washington's extraordinary performances in New Jersey in the end of 1776. But the war was far from over. The British still had a powerful army in New York, and more British soldiers were expected. The British had to figure out what to do in 1777. How could they crush the rebellion? A general named John Burgoyne stepped forward with the solution. He argued that a British army, led by him, naturally, should march south from Canada along the Hudson River. At the same time, General Howe would lead his army north from New York City along the river. And a third army, commanded by Barry St. Leger, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, would come in from the west, joined by Native Americans led by Joseph Bryant. All three of these armies would converge around Albany. This would give the British complete control of the Hudson River, taking a crucial transportation route away from the Americans, and it would cut New England off from the other states. This was a good plan. If the Americans fought, they would be attacked from three sides and crushed. If they didn't fight, they'd lose a huge strategic asset. If they divided their forces to face each of the three attacking armies separately, they'd be outnumbered. So it was a good plan. The problem, as is so often the case, came in the execution. Burgoyne did his part. His soldiers came south through thick forests and hills, but the other two armies never came. The Western Army laid siege to Fort Stanwix, but encountered stiff opposition. Then St. Leger was tricked by Benedict Arnold, remember that name, into thinking that a much larger American army was nearby, so St. Leger retreated back to Canada. Howe's army, meanwhile, didn't even attempt to carry out their part of the plan. Instead, Howe took his army in New York, south and west, to Philadelphia. I've tried to find an explanation for why Howe did this. From what I can tell, Howe didn't know about Burgoyne's plan. Lord Germain, responsible for coordinating the war effort, knew that Howe's plan and Burgoyne's plan contradicted each other, but he never told Howe about his role in Burgoyne's plan. The result was that Burgoyne was on his own. He didn't help matters with his extravagant tastes. Nicknamed Gentleman Johnny, Burgoyne liked fancy things, 
and he brought a lot of fancy things along with him on the campaign. After all, why should he be deprived of luxuries while marching through the forests and the hills? So his army moved slowly, because it had to carry all of those luxuries. Then, most of his Native American allies left after a defeat at Bennington. Faced with the choice of retreating back to the north or continuing south, he chose the latter and doomed his army. This is an example of how one leader's personality can have a huge effect on history. If someone other than Burgoyne had been in command, things might have gone very differently. Personality traits were also causing problems for the Americans, specifically the relationship between the top two American commanders, Horatio Gates and Benedict Arnold. When Arnold returned from Fort Stanwix, the two clashed immediately. Arnold and Gates couldn't stand each other. Gates was in command of the army, but Arnold was a much better leader. Both wanted all the glory, and each resented the other. This rivalry will have important consequences. Next time, we'll talk about the battles of Saratoga themselves and look at the consequences of those battles. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me at ushistoryin5 at gmail.com. Today's musical intro is Yankee Doodle as performed by the Victor Band, downloaded from the Internet Archive.